I suppose I've always been quote-unquote sensitive, playing with people and animals that weren't there, for example, but I was nine before it dawned on me that I had a knack for the paranormal. That's when my mother, a true crime aficionado and lover of all things haunted, despite a rather skeptic turn of mind, took my brother and I to the Lizzie Borden house. Apart from the creepy bobble-headed figures around every corner, the place didn't make much of an impression on me. Until, that is, I entered Maggie's room. Going in ahead of my mother and brother, I noticed a figure reflected in the mirror, looming behind me near the window. The details are sketchy all these years later, but I remember thinking the figure's hair fell to about chin length, and that he or she was very pale. I spun around, prepared to chide my brother for trying to spook me, only to find that neither he nor my mother had come in yet. The figure was gone. Only later did it hit me that I'd seen a ghost. Once that sunk in, I came to realize that spirits seemed drawn to me. I've experienced quite a few in my time, most notably the ones that make regular appearances in our home. There's a helpful spirit we lovingly refer to as Fish, who tucked Mother into a blanket while she was napping, and who removed a wet cloth I'd fallen asleep with so that I wouldn't catch cold. And we also have the hallway walkers. We never see them, only hear them wandering in the hallway or in the bedrooms, sometimes shifting things around. The moment anyone goes upstairs to investigate, they go silent. Fairly mundane stuff. We've long grown accustomed to their occasional mischief. There are other spirits, however, decidedly less commonplace. I keep a sketchbook of my more memorable encounters. The first subject to be drawn is a spirit I call the Foyer Man who appeared one day in our foyer opposite the couch where I happened to be seated, working on an art piece. Something compelled me to look up as I toiled away, and there he was, soaked to the proverbial bone, smelling of rain, water dripping from him onto the wood floor. He was dressed in jeans and several layers of shirts. His hair was shaggy. His eyes were lifeless. I could feel how sad and lost he was. No sooner had I gotten a good look at him and he vanished as quickly as he'd appeared. Later, figures began appearing in our front yard, their shapes ambiguous, seeming to blend with the shadows. Their presence somehow demanded me to look out the window and acknowledge them. Once, while working in the living room, a headless, childlike, though somewhat inhuman figure appeared in the foyer. It gave off a mischievous vibe, inching ever closer every time I looked down, like a playful cat. Sometime after the headless figure... I was out for a walk with my cats and happened upon someone sitting in my neighbor's van. I didn't think much of it at the time, but I quickly turned around and looked back to see that it wasn't my neighbor. It was a sad-looking humanoid figure with empty black eyes and a turned-down mouth. It was gone as soon as I averted my eyes, and I never saw it again. More recently, while at the computer in one of my night classes, I noticed a tall, billowy figure with a face like a jack-o'-lantern enter the room hunched forward like he was nervous. He stopped behind the teacher, watching with intense curiosity as she instructed a student one-on-one. -on -one. He regarded me only once, looking up as if to confirm I could see him. Nearly every spirit I've come into contact with over the years has been harmless. Usually they're just sad or lost. Having said that, there's one spirit that I've known since I was young, so horrible I can't even draw him for fear of inviting it venture beyond its preferred spot on the hill outside my house. At first glance, it looks like a man in a long black coat and a hat. 
But as you get closer, you can see that it is not a man. I once got close enough to see it, really see it. I wouldn't wish the sight on my worst enemy. As I stood, a trembling child, all of ten, the figure doubled in height, its inky black body dripping and stretching like a beast made of tar. Multiple arm-like appendages erupted from its side, tapering into hideous claws. I ran, looking back only once, to see it bounding after me, pulling itself forward on its terrible arms. I didn't look back again until I was safely inside the house. I peered out the windows to see it, standing on the crest of the hill, waiting. It waits there every night. I never got that close to it again. I don't walk outside in the dark alone, and when I drive up or down the hill, I don't look in my rearview mirror for fear of seeing it there. Most of the spirits I've met make it into my sketchbook, but not him. I won't draw the thing on the hill. Not for you, not for me, not for the local kids who whisper about shadowy figures stalking outside their homes at night. I don't fear spirits. I welcome them. But that thing? That thing is something else entirely. Hi, I'm Jamie Markey. And I'm Michael Tatum. And this is Ghoul Intentions. Welcome. What a great Fuck that story. story. <laughs> God damn. That and story comes from Scotland. That's the, the person's name. Scotland, not the um, country. Yeah, not the country, but Scotland. What a great well, name. Well, you know what? If With a name like that, you're going to be haunted. I know. If it had come from the country, I would have been like. And then, like having the name or the country, either way, it's going to be creepy as fuck, in my opinion. I want someone. You did good, Scotland. You lived up to your name. Yeah, you really did. I wonder if anyone in Scotland is named America. I don't know. What happens? I wonder. I just—it's a cool name, but I don't know that America. Eh, who knows? But that's a great story. Just like seeing. I love. I love that Scotland keeps a sketchbook. I know. How fucking awesome is that? Ah, oh, I wish I'd have thought of that. If every ghost I encountered, I should have written a little story, like a, a you know, made it into a story. With a little sketch. You know, with, or with a sketch or something. Scotland, if you want to share any of those sketches with us, you can just go ahead and email them We'd be us. happy, but don't, don't draw, don't draw the figure on the hill. Right. Keep, keep, stick to your guns with that one. Yeah, we also don't want that, so. Yeah. Um, that reminds so cool. me of like, have you seen, there's a, there's a series on Netflix that I just started last night called, it's a French series called Marianne, Marianne, but Marianne is mm. how you say it if you're a super proofer like me. And it's, um, it's about a successful horror novelist who mm -hmm. is like finished <clears throat> writing a series of books when somewhere that meant a lot to him in life. That makes total sense to me. I mean, if it were me, this house would be at the top of my list. The memories my family and I have made there, the music we've played, the bonds we've built, the holidays we've shared will live on in that house, uh, in those walls far beyond us. Though I'm saying goodbye to it in life, I'm choked up now as I write about it. I'm not certain I'd be able to resist a visit in death. Thank you so much for considering my submission and for all the work that you do to bring this podcast to life every week. I'll be listening and leaning on your stories and banter as I adjust to this move and new chapter. You're both so wonderful, and I hope you have a spooktacular October. Sincerely, Rue. Thank That's you, so Rue. sweet. That I hope your new story. house is haunted by really cool ghosts that the give one you in nice Kentucky? stories. I mean, it's Kentucky. Also, Kentucky's beautiful. I don't know where your where the, your family's moving, but it's beautiful. So at least you'll get to That's see it. It's hard to move though, especially when you've lived in one place for a long time. Well, or to have them move out, like especially because you know you go to your parents' house; they've been there forever, mm -hmm. and it's like 
then mm-hmm. do you think you can't go? That's hard. It's weird. Yeah, when my when my grandparents passed away and my grandfather sold their house and then mm-hmm. I grew up in that house. Yeah. And then when they sold that house, I would drive by there and be like, oh, I want to go in. Yeah. I want to do what they do in movies and just show up at the front door and be like, hey, I used to live here as a kid. Can I look around? But I figure nowadays it's kind of weird. It's kind of a sketchy thing to do. Right. We with ours, uh, my my mom and dad moved into my grandpa's house. So both of them I had, you know, had my whole life. So even like, at least if I wasn't going to be going back to the other house, the one house, I could go to the grandparents' house, mm-hmm. right? And then uh, when my dad passed away, we moved my mom down here. So when it was saying goodbye to that house, too, mm-hmm. it was hard. But mm-hmm. but now she has a pool, so. <laughs> Much cooler. It's cooler. It's better. Uh, uh, what you got for us? I got Deanna. Deanna. Hiya. I just wanted to start with, I freaking love the podcast. It is great accompaniment. <laughs> for lengthy drives, though I should probably not listen to it as often when it's dark and I'm driving as I have a tendency to make myself a little jumpy. Don't be jumpy while driving. That's bad. It's a bad idea. Anyways, I have two <laughs> different things to submit today. The first one is more amusing and only sort of linked with ghosts and the supernatural. For a little bit of context, I'm a high school teacher in Australia and I primarily teach English. Ooh. The building I teach in is at least 30 years old and I work on the third floor. On the same floor, there is only one other teacher who teaches, uh, whoa, uh, <laughs> this font, I probably should have increased this font. Um, on the same floor, <laughs> yeah, what are you going to do? There is only one other teacher who teaches on the same floor as me regularly. The other rooms are specialty rooms or only used for theory. The other teacher is a really good friend and theory she's rooms. an what English teacher Sorry, as I'm, well. What? It's an Australian thing. Theory rooms. I'm I like, don't know. I like to believe it's music. It's theory. like lab or something. Yeah. Like what we'd call lab. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I, Sorry. I, I want to think it's If music. anyone cares to clarify. I just want to think it's music theory. Yeah, and that's maybe. how they are in, in Australia elementary schools. That'd be awesome. Uh, the other teacher is the friend and is an English teacher as well, but is also the drama teacher in the school. So she has both an English classroom and a drama teaching space. My friend was teaching a play, Ruby Moon, which is about a young girl who goes to visit her grandmother and disappears. My friend taught this over July, and the room was creaking and groaning as the winter winds picked up and battered against the old building, as opposed to here in July when it's 100,000 degrees. Because they live like two miles from the sun. Right. No, I mean here in Texas. Because we live two miles miles from from the sun. sun. Exactly. Um, As well as the general sounds that come with an older building, the door sits a little loose in the frame and tends to rattle as people walk up and down the corridor. One day with her senior drama class, she began joking that all the rattling was Ruby from the play coming to visit. It became a bit of a joke between our seniors and the two of us. Anytime a door opened on its own, something rattled, something fell over, etc. We blamed Ruby. Well, here comes the more amusing part. We began making the joke when other students are around and some of our seniors started passing the story around to the younger students, you know, as they do. Are your sevens latched on? They wanted to know about the ghost called Ruby. So my friends started becoming more and more mysterious, saying to the year seven kids, you'll find out when you get older. Now I'm a roll call teacher for the year sevens and my friend is your advisor. So we were kind of teasing them about the ghost and now the story has taken off. We have been asked if it was about that person who died jumping off the third floor, which there has been nothing of the sort. (laughs) However, the story has taken a life of its own. And now I'm wondering if we're going to have a genuine haunting or a talpa because the stories keep growing. And as an English teacher, I keep wondering if I should put a stop to it or allow their imagination to grow. 
basically, that's the story of how in a perfectly normal school where nothing horrifying has ever happened, <laughs> we may have accidentally caused a haunting. <laughs> Whoopsies. Whoopsies. Ghost. Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> the second story has to do with the moments I would genuinely consider to be linked with the spiritual world. Spiritual world. Over the last 11 years, I have lost three of my grandparents. I was not close with all of them, but the two I was extremely close to have left a lasting memory of not only their life, but also their passing. My grandmother on my dad's side got sick when I was 16, so I won't say her death was completely unexpected. However, despite the fact that I desperately wanted to be by her side, I was forced to continue going to school. On the day of her death, I was on a train with a school going to Sydney. I lived about two hours south of Sydney. I remember contemplating jumping off the train at the station closest to the hospital she was at. As we got closer to Sydney, the feeling of wanting to jump off the train to see her began to diminish. I sat with my head resting on the window. At 8.03 a.m., I just started crying. Tears were flowing, and I, for the life of me, couldn't get myself to stop. Then, a feeling of peace. There was nothing for it. I stopped crying and got myself together, did the study day in Sydney, and went home. When I got home, my parents were home. They had left that morning and weren't intending to be home for the next couple of days. So I knew when I saw the car that she was gone. I burst into tears. I eventually came inside. I wanted to know everything. My aunts and uncles had told my grandmother at 8 o'clock that my dad was on his way. He had just entered the building. And at 8.03, she breathed her last. Hmm. This was a similar occurrence with my grandfather on my mom's side. I lived with him the time I was at university, so I was quite, quite close to him. Last year, he got sick. Now I live two hours away from my parents' house, so I went and visited one weekend after he had been moved into a nursing home near my parents. I went and saw him. My mother had told me that he wanted to know where I was. After university, I moved to England for a while, as Australians do. We move everywhere. <laughs> I told him it was okay to go because he was in an unimaginable pain. Hmm. The next day, I was heading home. I had stuck around as long as I could afford to because I had to work on Monday. I got in the car and halfway home, I got the same feeling I had gotten with my grandmother, that feeling of urgency to do something. I nearly turned the car around, but I knew I couldn't afford the time off work. Around 3.30 p.m., I once again burst into tears. I couldn't stop crying, so I pulled the car over for, for a few to collect myself. I got home and pottered around doing chores. My phone rang and my heart sank. My mom just said, I'm sorry, he was gone by 3.30. Whilst I've never had any paranormal experiences, I know that this was my grandparents saying their goodbye to me, which is a paranormal experience. Yes. It, I mean, it is. I would, I count it. Yeah, I think that counts. Definitely. Mm. Such mm. a good story. Mm. Thank you, Deanna. Yeah. People are being very, there's some sensitive moments I think that we all have with especially deaths of loved ones like that well, yeah that we're really grateful that you guys send us you know you're so open about this pain that it can cause and you know having family move away mm -hmm. and all of that stuff but mm -hmm. to share with us some of these these stories that kind of connect you closer to these people that's the power of putting it into a story too that's by true. the way it just... helps you process it it helps you it helps turns it into currency mm -hmm. that you can use to get closer yeah. to someone else and we just really appreciate you guys sharing that with yeah, us do. yeah so i feel very i feel very loved hearing yeah, me that too. story me too. all right i have one <laughs> from uh jordan jordan J-I-O-R-D-A-N? Jordan? 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 Maybe just Jordan. Maybe just Jordan. It's a cool spelling. Yeah. I apologize if I'm saying your name incorrectly, but to me, you will always be Jordan. And that <laughs> seems fitting because apparently I say a lot of things wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is, Jordan says, y'all are haunted as fuck. We are. It's true. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> Hi Thank again, my bet. name is Jordan. Uh, I said something to Michael on Twitter about how in Ghost Ghost 33, it sounded like he said wanking sheets. <laughs> <laughs> I'll admit I wasn't sober either the first time I heard it, uh, so that could have been uh, had something to do with it. The two following times, I still heard wanking sheets sober, but the fourth time, <laughs> I was in the kitchen minding my own business when in stormed my husband Wilbur in a jealous rage. Can y'all tell me what musical that's from? Joking. Chicago. Um, <laughs> try me, bitch. Uh, <laughs> busting in my kitchen would be frightening. I what actually happened was creepier. <laughs> I put my food uh, in the microwave, and as Michael says, when we buried people, we uh, we used to bury them in wanking sheets, different sheets. I was very clearly, I very clearly felt someone put a hand on my shoulder and say, <laughs> winding sheet. It, it was Michael's voice, but what? it sounded like he was actually in the room with me. I had my earphones in, and the voice was louder than the Michael in my headphones. <gasps> Uh, uh, <laughs> fair to say I was freaked the fuck out Usually I would have noped my way out of there And ran back to my room But my food wasn't done my, <laughs> Logical, I my, get it My heart started pounding when I turned to look At where the hand had been And all I saw was a shadow Go by and disappear <gasps> When it hit the wall That wasn't me it I was swear you. to God it was I'm you, not Michael. that much of a grammar Nazi Um it's not even about being a grammar Nazi. It's accuracy. Is it, yeah, it's me. Like, it's not what it said. It's not what it said. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm Actually, sorry. realistically, I, you would have liked it to have been wanking sheets forever. No comment. I listened to the episode a total of six times because you guys are so funny. But oh, now yeah. I hear it as winding sheet instead of wanking. And honestly, it makes me a bit sad. <laughs> <laughs> As, as much as I would love to hear Michael's voice in person, that wasn't what I meant. If Michael <laughs> wouldn't mind, can I get him to give me his best Mayuri do 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 as replace as repayment for scaring the shit out of me? Love <laughs> you guys. Fair. There, I gave it to. You. <laughs> but when I say it, I want you to picture like me in the room, like just saying it in your ear while you're making a sandwich or something. With your hand and, on yeah, with on my the hand on your shoulder, or 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 just just standing there awkwardly, like I would do in life. Yeah. Going. In real life, I mean, going doo doo doo. Nice. There, there. That was good. That's, All right. I didn't know I was a ghost. That is so funny. It's funny. I and it's not the only time your voice powers? has been used. Do I have powers I don't know about? It could be. Oh, man, why, go, why can't so. I use them? <laughs> Who knows? You know what? Knowing is half the battle. You have to know you have them first. And now that you know that you have them. That's my quirk. It's your quirk. That's my quirk. Because <laughs> I, can, I can astral project my voice to, to correct Myself. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, what I said was winding sheet. Thank you. I think it's winding sheet. That is going to be the sort of ghost I am. I'm going to just randomly appear to correct people in their misconceptions because yeah. uh, I'm that asshole. But I do asshole. like that whatever it is, was <laughs> just like, no, that's not right. You winking sheets, winding sheets. Winding, it's winding. <laughs> oh my God, it's so funny. That's I feel great. like if you ever listen to that episode again, just out loud say, it's wanking and see what happens. And then you'll hear my voice going, oh, uh, it's winding. Oh, God. So funny. OK, moving on. Moving on. It was a great story. <laughs> thank got, you, Jordan. Thank you, Jordan. Uh, Kai, hello again to the moon and stars of my eternal spooky evening. Oh, that's nice. great. It's beautiful. That's I love great. that. I yeah. accept. 
I, the ever lovely Kai, I love that, uh, come with a trio of bits in mind. At that time, it was well known that a married woman, as property of her husband, could not be put to death. She was property. Right. She was good for breeding babies. They didn't want to kill her, right? She was she was property. So the courts had John Fisher hanged first, effectively uh, making Lavinia a widow. She was no longer a married woman. Lavinia wore her white wedding dress, hoping that someone would marry her on the way to the gallows. She begged the men she saw in the massive crowd to marry her, but none would. I can't imagine why not. I mean, man. She's a planner. She's, I mean, I, she's resourceful. She's, she's a resourceful planner. and she's throwing that fucking, that misogynist law right back in their mm-hmm. faces going, all right, motherfuckers. Okay, cool. All right, cool. marry me. If you can't kill me because I'm property of a husband, well, I'll just find a husband on the way to the gallows. Right. Except it didn't work. The executioner police let her ask around for a while. Maybe they were trying to give her hope. I don't know. But eventually, they told her it was time to go to the gallows. She refused to walk anymore at that point, and they had to pick her up and carry her as she ranted and raved. When she got onto the scaffold and the rope was placed around her neck, she screamed at the Charleston socialites that they had encouraged her conviction. Her final words were, if you have a message you want to send to hell, give it to me. I'll carry it. Then I really kind of I I like amazing. her. I know. <laughs> I know she's not a good person, but, but I like her so style. Nice. Okay, so then, without warning, Lavinia leapt off the scaffold, effectively taking the executioner's job away from him. Because oh. she will literally be damned before someone else kills her, I guess. Nice. Because of the angle of her jump, Lavinia's neck did not break. So her death took some time. Oh, yeah. Onlookers say Lavinia Fisher did not struggle as she was hanging. She did not make any sounds either. She just glowered at them in a rage, making eye contact with anyone she could as she gradually turned redder and redder until she died. What an image. I know. Those she made eye contact with said they had never seen such a wicked stare or chilling sneer as that which was on the 27-year-old murderess's face. Mm. Though, okay, <laughs> that's, whew, it's, a good, it's such a good story. I, I know, love it. I know, it's, it's the part of me that's not a good person. Is uh, in love. love it. <laughs> so many sources say that the Fishers were buried in the Unitarian Church graveyard located between King and Archdale Streets in Charleston. They're also, they also, a lot of people say that she haunts that cemetery. Mm. This is highly unlikely because they weren't buried there at all. There was a Potter's <laughs> Field cemetery next to the jail at the time where most criminals were buried if their bodies weren't claimed by family members. Additionally, church records have been searched, indicating no evidence that she was buried there. This tale has likely been perpetuated by tour guides. Mm, mm, And at the time, those cemeteries have really good records. The Potter's Field, not so much, but the church cemeteries, they do. Um, So, But the tour guides, you know, they're putting it on. But we went by that one, and there was another story about somebody else who was haunting that. But currently, from what I've read, and this is another little wind a little sidetrack uh-huh is that built over the potter's field right now is the medical university of south carolina's children's research center oh Yay! Mm-hmm. and i look to find mm-hmm. haunting stuff there i just didn't why? have a lot of time why would they do that well because land is precious and pretty much everywhere yeah, in charleston is a graveyard of some sort well, so i guess but man at the oh. time so God. keep in mind, the graveyard... Let's give, let's give sick children nightmares. Right. 
The graveyard was one of the largest public burial grounds in Charleston until 1825. Jesus. But riddle me this. <laughs> Do you think any of the graves were relocated before the federal government converted the land for use as an arsenal in 1860? I'm going to say probably not. Ding, ding. Because it was where the poor people were buried. No. And then they it adjusted into like a public field for like marches or it was a military field, right? No, they just left it all there. Wow. So, okay. To the Medical wow. University of South Carolina or MUSC's credit, Medical University of South Carolina, MUSC, to their credit, when they purchased the site in 1963 and discovered over a hundred graves Ooh. when they began construction... MUSC petitioned the city to move the graves to a, graves to a site on James Island. Mm. But they didn't do it. No details of the removal or reburial have apparently ever been found. Ugh. Initially, the site of the Children's Research Center was a paved service area for the Basic Science Building. When MUSC began construction on the site in 2001, to their credit again, they hired an archival and field investigation company to do it. They exhumed the remains of 33 bodies, ironically, Oof. most of whom had been children. Oh. In the early 19th century, there had been a yellow fever outbreak at the Charleston Orphan House a few blocks away, and it's assumed the children found were from the orphanage that had died from yellow fever. In March of 2003, the bodies were reinterred about 100 feet away from their initial location, and... A building built over that site. What? The no, I'm fun? just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. They didn't. No. And a, yeah, a pottery no, no. barn. But, yeah. yeah. No, oh, there's God. actually a plaque at St. Luke's Chapel marking the new Thank grave God. site across the street <laughs> like from the research be like, center. What? Yes. No. <laughs> I was prepared so, to believe anything at this point. There were graves of children underneath the children's research center. I mean, but not now. They they moved not now, them. No, they moved them. But man, but like, isn't that? It was just like this crazy irony. And I couldn't ugh, leave that out. Ugh. I couldn't leave it out. No, no, no. That's fucked up, though. Yeah. Oh god. Yeah. So let's go back out of that rabbit hole. Okay. So back. Okay. We'll get back into Lavinia's nightmare. Into Lavinia's yes. nightmare. So it turns out that the tour guides might not just be making up stories regarding Lavinia's burial place. What do you mean? We have a bit of an actually here, <sighs> folks. A bit of an actually. Oh. And I'm just as, just, just as disappointed as you are right now. Man. In this moment. Yeah. Okay. I was very excited about telling the story. And then I was like, motherfucker, it's not everything we want it to be. <sighs> okay. Historical records do not indicate that hundreds of remains were found in the Fisher's basement. There were a couple of bodies dug up on the property, but nothing tied them to the Fisher's for sure. And according to records, they were never charged with murder. I mean, for all we know, the bodies under their place may have just been from another right. cemetery right. that everyone forgot about. It seems exactly. to be a theme in that city. So while Lavinia has regularly been called the first female serial killer in the United States, that distinction likely belongs to Jane Topan, Topan, T-O-P-P-A-N, hmm. who confessed to 31 murders in 1901 hmm. and was found not guilty by reason of insanity. So she was one of those angel of death nurses. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look her up, Jane Topan, and then you can never sleep again. I may do a thing on her then. Yeah. That's this bitch inspiring. was kicked out of Cambridge Hospital in Boston for administering opiates recklessly in 1889. 
Wow, she was a woman ahead of her time. She really was. She really was. <laughs> she'd have she'd have been a great. She'd done great now. Yeah, yeah. I started getting into it, and I was like, "You have to stop. You have to stop. Yeah, go back. <laughs> bring it to back. Lavinia. Bring it back to Lavinia." Uh, okay, so so there's no evidence that the bodies that they found a couple of bodies, right? But they could have just they, been people buried, been buried at the site or whatever. Right. Yeah, because it's what? Okay, so nothing. T- nothing. T- t- so how did a trial happen? What, how, what happened? Did I get there? One of one thing the records about Lavinia do agree on is the fact that they robbed many travelers and highway robbery was still a hanging de- offense. Also called into question is the fact Lavinia wore her wedding dress to her execution or that she jumped from the scaffold herself. On February 26th, or I'm sorry, on February 22nd, 1819, the Charleston Courier ran an article about what happened. I was going to sum it up, but I was like, why do it? This is so good. Read it, read okay, it. Okay, you ready? Yes. Okay. In Saturday's Courier, we gave some particulars of the conduct of a set of outlaws who have for a long time past infested the road on the vicinity of the city and whose outrageous conduct had of late become insupportable. We then stated that the occupants of a small house five miles from town had been driven out and the building burnt to the ground, and that certain others, in possession of a house one mile above, six miles, had been compelled to leave it. (laughs) Compelled to leave it. What the fuck does that mean? Had been compelled to leave it, and another person put in possession of it by the owner. It now appears that as soon as the citizens had returned to town, the persons who had been thus compelled to leave to uh, the last mentioned house returned to it in the evening and beat the person who had been put in possession in a most inhumane manner when he escaped into the woods and made the best of his way to town. The next morning, the same gang stopped a traveler up the road, beat him cruelly, cut his head in several places, and then robbed him of about 30 or 40 in money. I don't know, 30, 40, what in money? 30 or 40 monies, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) These circumstances being made known to the civil authority, the sheriff of this district... Fake news. (laughs) Fake news. Uh, The sheriff of this district collected a posse of citizens and proceeded on Saturday afternoon to the spot, surrounded the house, and seized upon its occupants, three men and two women, after which they burnt the house and outbuildings to the ground, without allowing the occupants to remove an article of its contents, brought the offenders to town and committed them to jail, or gaul. (laughs) Gaul. Uh, Gaul. (laughs) But jail. Uh, The posse found in an outhouse the hide of a cow, which had been recently killed, and which was identified to be the property of one of our citizens. She had been missing for several days. This accounts for the manner in which the cows are disposed of, which are so frequently stolen and never afterwards heard of. The inmates at the house were armed with 10 or 12 muskets and a keg of powder, but the force which went against them was too imposing to, ad- to admit uh, any chance of success in a resort to arms. <laughs> resort to arms, but resort to arms sounds fun. One of the leaders in these high-handed depredations was arrested into town on Saturday afternoon and likewise committed to jail. Goal. We travel. We <laughs> goal. trust. Goal. Gaul. Uh, we trust that it's these. It's still just pronounced jail. jail. I know. <laughs> we. Tr- I just. I just want to. I can't not. We trust that these decisive steps will restore the quiet to the neighborhood and enable our country brethren to enter and leave the city without the fear of insult or robbery. The following is a correct list of the members of the gang who were apprehended and committed to prison on Saturday night. 
John Fisher, Lavinia Fisher, his wife, William Hayward, James Elway, M apostrophe Elway, Jane Howard, and Seth Young. It is supposed there are more of them lurking about and is hoped the vigilance of the police and citizens will ferret them out and bring them to justice. We are informed and requested to state that Mr. John People, who was robbed and unmercifully beaten by the villains mentioned above, is an honest, industrious young man from the country and had a sum of money entrusted to his care, which the robbers took from him. I just really like that part where they're like, he's a good guy. He's a good also, guy. Also, we're supposed to tell you he's a good guy. It's our, he's our chief source, so we better. Right. Yeah, we better uh, paint him in a nice light. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So it seems. So it's like, they're basically, they stole a cow. They stole, they stole a, cow. a cow. They were highwaymen. And, and they were robbing. You know, like, they weren't whatever. good people, but the the killing yeah, with the oleanders. Like, is... They were just, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's whatever. It's not supported by that. They were probably just you know, early 19th century LARPers right. got out of hand Just and of people control. were like, they must be thieves. That's probably what it is. So, okay. Man, that's so disappointing. I know. I mean, they were criminal. That. I mean, that's from the paper. I mean, so. that's from paper. I, and can I comment on the way that paper is written? That, yeah. that, pa- that paper, like, I feel like the tone of that article can be reduced down to girl. <laughs> these <laughs> motherfuckers like, over here someone i can't say until the end did right. this thing and then mm-hmm. this, and then this happened mm-hmm. and also this happened right and then this happened yes. and that's it and it's exactly. like how the fuck do you put it all together you're like okay what well, there was a cow in there somewhere right right but they're like we found a cow and- i love the idea though that they go through and these people are you know beating the shit out of people and stealing their money on the highway and they're like but they stole the cow they stole a cow Cows were very expensive it was a big deal so okay Lavinia supposedly haunts the Old Town Jail, which also has numerous ghost tours and has been on all kinds of ghost hunting shows. All of of them, I'm (laughs) just assuming. I'm sure it's haunted. I mean, the history there dates back to 1680, with the first structure going up in 1738. It housed runaway slaves. There was a makeshift hospital for the poor and homeless, and it also housed criminals, though they were kept separated Hmm. from non- Mm-hmm. criminal sure they factions. Were. Sure they were. Punishments and executions also took place at this location. Criminals faced whippings, brandings, torture, and deprivation of food and water. For horse thieves, their ears were sometimes nailed to a post before finally sliced off altogether. That's a weird punishment. For stealing a for horse. Stealing, I mean, horse thieving is, is, that was, it's always been a bad thing to do. Right. Like, always punishable by something extreme. extreme. But like, what? But it, Who comes up with this going, I know what, I know what will deter it. Let's nail their ears to something. And is that going to be off. harder to ride a horse if you don't have an ear? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. I guess it does. I mean, if I you're, mean, walking, around, wind noise, if you're right? walking around without an ear, people are like, oh, that motherfucker stole a horse. Keep him I away from the stable. True. Like, maybe. I don't know. Oh, I don't that's know. true. It's like more of like a it's like a Mark of Cain type of thing. Yeah, yeah the, the, uh, um, the... Or an A. The right? A. The A. Uh, 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 okay. Criminals... Fa- oh, the, 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 I saw that part. The ear and the cutoff. For the worst offenders, they might be burned at the stake, hanged, or drawn and quartered. Over the years, numerous structures were built, demolished, and rebuilt. The jail was built in 18... 18- the old jail, that's what it's called now, mm-hmm. was built in 1802... And was damaged in an earthquake in 1886, which still blows my mind. There was an earthquake in Charleston. Right. Yeah. The building was in operation for 137 years, and it served as an asylum on top of a jail. (coughs) Excuse me. 
They had pirates. They had leaders of a slave <laughs> revolt. Yep. They had civil mm-hmm. war soldiers mm-hmm. from both sides. They had up to 300 prisoners when the jail was only built for 128. Ooh. There was rampant disease, starvation, torture, and violence all over this joint. It's estimated 10 to 14,000 people, depending upon what you read, 10 to 14,000 people died on the property during its operations. Ooh. So yeah, it's haunted as fuck. I mean, it has to be. God damn. And Lavinia is reportedly one of those ghosts. But how do you know with all them other ghosts about that is her, right? And I like to think, though, in death that she's like, like, I was really just a, I was just part of this band of thieves. And now I'm like, apparently America's first serial killer. OK, I'll wear that. Sure, cool. I'll just go ahead and do that. And one of the stories we heard was that during the earthquake this it fractured through the tower and it did destroy the tower that had been there but it fractured and then people saw a woman crawl out of the crack of the tower and and uh run down the road and it's like but i mean it was like it's it's hot it's like five six stories high so how did she get down did she just float down <laughs> like thankfully she was wearing that very billowy wedding dress that's right so they could see it uh okay so some people say her ghost was seen pretty soon after she died, but other people say most of the haunting action didn't get underway until the restoration efforts began in 2000. To be fair, it sat abandoned for 61 years before that. And I doubt the prisoners were listened to if they were bitching about haints. So I guess it would be more <laughs> accurate to say that most people didn't know about the hauntings until the restoration efforts began in 2000. It just seemed like, excuse me, guard, guard. Um, yeah. There's a woman in a wedding dress here that keeps right. screaming at me over my bed at night and then she disappears. Yeah, she does that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Here are some of the stories. You ready? Yeah. One of the first reports was workers finding footprints in the dust after the building had been locked off for months due to lead paint contamination. More and more anomalies occurred as preservation continued and the building was opened her tours. Several apparitions have been reported, including several workers who saw the ghost of a jailer with a rifle on the third floor. The phantom was said to have passed through the bars, heading toward them before it vanished. Others have reported seeing a black man in ragged clothing wandering aimlessly in the halls. Thought to be the spirit of a former slave, the man is seemingly unaware of of, uh, the living or his surroundings. Mm. People claim to have seen a woman in her wedding dress, describing it as being bright red and white. So here we go on that. Since Lavinia's property and belongings were burned along with her home, it seems pretty doubtful that she wore her wedding dress to her hanging. Fair. I don't know who that bitch in red and white is. Can I just comment on the vigilantes going like, we're going to get you and we're also going to burn all the evidence. Uh Uh-huh. Stupid. Yeah, I agree. Um, Is that your comment? That was my comment. Yeah, sorry. It It was just my little- No, I agree with you. My little interjection there. It's like fucking- Anyway, go on. So, yeah. (laughs) So who- Whoever they're seeing can't be Lavinia. I imagine, first of all, after so much time there, even if she was wearing white, after a year- yeah, that just wouldn't be white no more. Uh, in jail, it wouldn't have looked very white. <laughs> On top of that, and more importantly, Lavinia died in 1820. Mm. Women did not start wearing white for their wedding dresses oh. until Queen Victoria did it in 1840. So she died 20 years before people ever wore white in, for wedding dresses. This is why people need to learn history. History is important. Um, that was one of the things when I first read the wedding dress thing, I was like, something's not right there. That's yeah. too early for white. So hmm. yay, costume hmm. history. Hmm. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. So it was after Labor Day. It was way after Labor Day. <laughs> um 
So yeah, that's whoever. I'm not doubting. So people, hashtag many, bitches numer- in white are only a thing after Queen Victoria. No, you can still wear a white dress. It's just not your fucking wedding dress. But I mean, okay. Yeah. Uh, because they're, they're still seeing someone because well, she's yeah, been reported yeah, multiple times. Yeah. But I but just don't know who it is. No. Nope. Okay. More haunts or haints. Haints. I like calling them haints. Haints. Uh, strange sounds are heard throughout the building, including the hum of a dumbwaiter moving through the floors, even though it hasn't been operational in years. Alarms are said to go on and off randomly. For some, experiences have been physical. Visitors and employees alike have complained of a choking feeling and shortness of breath while on the main staircase. Others report being grabbed, pushed, touched, and scratched by unseen forces. A tour guide tells the story of feeling a rope wrap around her ankle, and a man in the basement had his sunglasses knocked off by a violent unseen force. Other strange happenings also allegedly occur, such as terrible odors that are so bad as to make people feel ill. Other reports feel uh, people feeling being watched in the basement because, of course, there's a fucking basement. <laughs> Even though the temperatures may be quite warm, visitors have seen their breath come out in a cloud of fog. Doors are often found opened after being closed. It is fucked up. Go Ooh. there, take a tour, and don't Ooh. listen to anything you're told. <laughs> now, <clears throat> I say this because there's a little more fishiness to Lavinia's story. Even more? Even more. Okay. Oh, we're not done. God, now you're going to tell me she didn't even exist. Well, some stories say that she didn't, but there is evidence that she did. Okay. Uh, it seems there's a good chance we have an actually of an actually. <gasps> But not the way you think. Oh, damn it. It's an it's an actualception. <laughs> it's a dream within a dream, right? Such a perfect title. Out of everyone arrested, only the Fishers, along with a man named William Hayward, who happened to be the co-owner of the Six Mile House, were sentenced to hang. Hmm. That's weird, right? That is weird. Some dude got the shit beat out of him and only three people... A cow was stolen, and only three people. Only three people. Two different homes were burned down. Mm. If everyone was a problem whose outrageous conduct had become unsupportable, (laughs) why would they not take care of everybody? Yeah, just wipe the slate clean. Why only two men and one woman? That's weird. All of whom happened to own the Six Mile house. Why, Jamie? Even Fishier, and this pun is not intended because their last name is Fisher. But even Fishier, it seems they were arrested and tried for assault with intent to murder, but were sentenced to hang for highway robbery. Hmm. A completely different crime for which they were never tried for or convicted, Hmm. according in the paperwork. In the book, Six Miles to Charleston, the true story of John and Lavinia Fisher, former homicide investigator Bruce Orr contends that not only were the Fishers innocent, they were actually victims of political corruption. Oh, shit. Since only the owners of the Six Mile House were executed or presents an entirely new theory. Well, it's a conspiracy, really. But he had a lot of documents that support the case. Perhaps they were taken care of so the government could take the Fishers' property and use it as a new naval base. In fact... The Charleston Naval Hospital in North Charleston sits on the land once occupied by the Six Mile House. And to make matters even more confusing, (laughs) 
our tour guide when we went to Charleston, right, first night, was Bruce fucking Orr, who oh. wrote that book. Who wrote the book? He said he was Bruce Orr. He talked about the book, and he's written several books. Uh-huh. He, you know, said he was in a homicide investigator. All of that shit. Said he was Bruce Orr, and he, like has contacts, he's an expert on the ghost shows, all this shit. Uh-huh. And then he did the tour and proceeded to tell us the bullshit story about Lavinia, not the one he told in the book. Why? What the fuck? What the fuck? And this is what I was shouting downstairs. And Jack was like, what's going that's on? That's because I guess big ghost tours got to him. Maybe. That's, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's the thing. Maybe if you got to make a living on those tour groups, tour guides have to kind of go by a script like any right. actor. Right. And I guess, you know, they're like, they want to tell him, like, maybe he goes... I don't, I don't know. That's, Isn't that crazy? I want to kind of get his story and be like, why I know, you... I know. And the other thing is like the tour guide from the second day was definitely making up record, like random shit about stuff. Like from the, the, uh, what we did, the talked about the theater last time where we had, where I have the yeah. video, which yeah, the video yeah, yeah. is on Instagram now. Yeah. Um, the, but like it was all this bullshit and it was, but the story's fine. What's wrong with the story? I don't know. Why, why? You know, and so I don't know. Maybe he's just playing both sides of the fence. It he's like, be. if I help, if I help, like you know, propagate that story about Lavinia, then then my book about how it's not true yeah. is still interesting. Yeah, <laughs> and maybe <laughs> maybe it's just it's a weird kind of yeah, yeah complicated market. Maybe scheme. it's not Bruce Orr, and he was just saying he was so that we would believe him. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe, but he, he maybe. did tell us some good stories that were true as well. So I don't. I'm just so fucking I confused. I have no idea what to. I believe. feel like maybe the Lavinia story is such a cornerstone story for tours ghost yeah. tours of the area that like that he i it's not hard to imagine him being actively discouraged by who, right. whatever company what he Jack works said. for because be i was like, hot about it last don't, night don't tell that story but still you'd think he'd be like you know he he why wouldn't he like put in little sides like it said this happens right. not everyone agrees because i've been on tours where they say stuff like that where they're yeah. like the story goes here not everyone believes it but here's the kind of story uh, you know, like tour guides can just kind of frame it as a story and be like, we don't well, and know he how would true this say, is, but this is. He didn't say that, but he would say the legend says before he said it, which made me a little yeah, suspicious. Little, yeah. But it I was guess like. in all fairness, he's kind of like, well, know, that's what's And people have to make money. It's been nine years since that book came out. I don't, but you, anyway. Uh, it's strange. Yeah, it's very strange. Maybe, maybe he's in the process of writing another book where he's found that it's all true. That it's maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I don't we know. should write to him and be like. Hey, what the what's fuck, going on? Bruce? What's going on? What's going on? Yeah, I don't know. But I know that That's at least egg. four Actually. at least four of the people that were on that tour are gonna be listening to this going, what the fuck? The whole time too. <laughs> what the fuck, Bill? <laughs> Bruce, Bruce. Uh, Bruce, sorry, Bruce. What yes, it was because no, it was. We're just gonna call him us. Bill from now on. It was just See us how on he that likes tour. It. it was so crazy. Man, there's a mystery there. I know. I love it. Oh. So I have no idea. Bruce, what, if you're listening, what the write in, tell us what's going on. We want to know. We want to know. I will go buy a copy of your book right yeah, now. Yeah, it's not even. It's like twenty bucks. It's not even. There you go. I'm gonna if go you buy do a the copy Kindle of your book. Unlimited. And I'm read it. It's free. Yeah. Um. Tell so, us the story. Tell us. Tell us the real evil what, behind what the big really ghost tours. Believe and why? If he really, if he wrote a book about it, debunking this thing, why would he be on a ghost tour telling the same? Like in the one with the the sliding in the hole. Yeah. The bed and the disappearing and the shit. I, I mean, he, clearly that's what he's told to say. I guess. I guess. It's kind of sad, though, right? It is kind of sad, but Like man, a decade later, he's Thank you for giving us a good story. The, I know. So the le- <laughs> okay, so the lesson here is always look up the history told on a ghost tour. Oh, yeah, Especially always. when there are dozens of ghost tours in a particular city daily, mm. which Charleston 
is if you Google ghost and Charleston, <laughs> yeah. the first three pages are nothing but ghost tours. There aren't the stories, it's ghost tours. And if you wow. look up most of the stories, they're told on the ghost tour pages, mm. not other places, right? Okay. Yeah. So it's if it's so a each, part each of the tourism, ghost tour kind of has their own spin to kind of set themselves way, apart they from the, the competition. Yeah. Interesting. So um, it's part of the tourism. So the I guess the lesson there is, is to just go on every ghost tour and, right. you know, sift it yourself. <laughs> yeah. And for me, like, I get it. It's telling the story and part of it is storytelling and but for me, the truth is so much more interesting. It's yeah. always more interesting. Why make up lies? But it's also complicated. And yeah, it's true. I drunk, guess people don't drunk want people that. who often are part of these tours aren't I don't have the 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 fortitude to handle the complexity. Yeah. So as just to get through the tour, the tour guides used to, I imagine, giving them the very simplified sort of Hollywood blockbuster version of the story because that's what's that's what shuts them up right and keeps them happy because yeah. how many tours have we been on that like when 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 the tour guide speaking gets to the stuff you and I want to hear everyone else is fucking out they're out they're, right they've gone off to smoke or they fall on their ass because they're drunk or they're like waving or they're on their phones and it's like oh okay, okay. cool so you, you just wanted to, they wanted to come so they could see a ghost and not learn history right I guess or hear the the worst possible right outcome but Tell me the version that sounds like American Horror Story. Right, exactly. Um, so I anyway. I don't know why my irate, <laughs> I don't know why my my irate entitled tour uh, goer sounds like that, but right. they do in my mind. It's true. I don't know. The truth is fucked up is the point. Yes. And so I feel like if you're a tour guide making shit up, find out the truth. Tell the real story. It's always more interesting anyway. Hey, do a little side gig where you're like, hey, if you want to know the true story. Yeah. They pay do. me extra to go on this extra tour. Yeah, no, go on this other tour, or just like, hey, buy my book here. Or just like, tell you know, the something. truth. Just tell, well, truth. But yeah. anyway, so that is the story <sighs> question mark of Lavinia that's, Fisher. That's those are the stories. Yeah, of, of Lavinia, Lavinia Fisher. Fisher. Well, and I it am seems disappointed. More likely that it was a, it was bullshit, and that she was. That she was just framed. She was framed, and from what I understand, is about. I don't know, 10, 20 years later, they wrote about her in A Penny Dreadful and that started uh, well, the, the, mm -hmm. the telephone. <laughs> yeah, they're like, did you hear? Did you hear about Lavinia? She did this. Oh, I heard there were spikes. Oh, I heard there was, oh, I heard. I heard there was, oh, there was a dog I involved. Was, I hear she stole a cow. Right. Oh my God, I hear the cow was a member of the gang. But now that was in the paper at the time. So. Well, but papers were not. That's true. Papers also well, made and... shit up. And they were part of the conspiracy that this mm -hmm. Bruce Orr guy was talking about. It's kind of telling, they go like, hey, the guy they 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 did this to is really trustworthy, you guys. You gotta believe him. Super nice. You have to believe country. him. Yeah. That's so... And also, I can't help but think like, I mean, if you ran them out of their house and then had someone guarding it so they couldn't get back in their own home, I don't imagine anybody would deal well with that. I would smash right. her head through a window. You better fucking believe Fuck it. yes, I get would my house. Mm, mm, mm. But anyway, okay. I need a break. Yeah, I'm I need still a break mad too. about it. It I'm makes me so mad. mad. I'm so mad too. Okay, um, break. All right. Drinks, break. Drinks, break. break. We'll be right back. All right. It's your turn, Michael. So unlike your story, um, I'm just going to be up front and tell you that pretty much everything I'm about to tell you is only legend. Oh, yeah. Like, this is the hardest fucking time I've ever had doing research on anyone because it it's just impossible to find stuff. I'm not even sure that the guy I'm talking about right now yeah. even lived. Okay. Um, but he is he's a he's kind of a staple story. I'm I'm sure some ghost tour tells the story, tells the story. 
um, of this guy, but it's fascinating. And I wanted to talk about it for a number of reasons, not least of which because of kind of what it stood for and continues to stand for. I, my topic this week is John Domingo, known in his time as the Black Constable. Mm. Ever heard of him? No. Cool. Strap in. <laughs> well, if if the past couple of weeks of the podcast have taught us anything, it's that it's hard to stand out in Charleston. Apparently. <laughs> uh, like most historic American cities steeped in romance and intrigue, particularly those of the antebellum South for some reason. Right. I don't know why that is, but it seems to be the case. The enchanting port down has Well, they never... really like to lie about their past and make it seem... <laughs> Like everything was innocent. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, it's kind of a thing as, they do. As a southerner, I no can... judge. Lots of judgment. I'm not. I'm <laughs> people who live there now, it's not your fault. No, that's no, no. Did, but, but man, do your why. research. They romanticize um, the whole thing, and I guess that includes yeah. ghost stories and. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Um, the enchanting port town has never known a shortage of colorful characters since its founding in 1670. Some mildly eccentric, some downright bizarre and dangerous. Even so. John Domingo, a.k.a. the Black Constable, cut a very striking figure in the late 19th century. At six foot four, the hulking black man towered above the heads of passers-by as he strode along Masick Street in his billowing Union greatcoat, gazing about like a sovereign surveying his empire. His long, raven-black hair cascaded over his shoulders in thick, shimmering locks tied loosely with shoestring. His darting, unblinking eyes seemed to gorge on every detail, no matter the light. His hook nose and peninsular jawline gave one the impression of a half-man, half-hawk prowling the wharfs. A character best to avoid, clearly. Right. If... He sounds like Ebenezer, not Ebenezer, um, oh, from Sleepy Hollow. Ichabod Crane. Crane. He was, think, think of, think of Ichabod Crane if he were African-American and like... Oh, he was African-American. Made of muscle. Like, this guy was apparently a brick shit house. Oh. But also just very... Does, that doesn't sound like Ichabod Crane at all. No. <laughs> it sounds more like a Brom Bones. Yeah. The guy from... The, the guy, the headless horseman. Um, if you were a sailor in need of favorable winds, however, or a lovesick old fool desperate to woo a society girl half your age, or the victim of some grave injustice predictably ignored by the powers that be, John Domingo was just your man. The silver ring coiled around the fourth finger of his left hand resembled a snake. Fitting... Forged as it was along the riverbanks of the Congo, according to John. The servant has long been a fixture in occult symbolism, likewise personal emblems of power. Thomas Weir, for example, a Scotsman accused of witchcraft in the 17th century, claimed his walking stick was given to him by the devil. When he died at the hands of his torturers in 1670, the stick was thrown into the fire, where it proceeded to writhe and slither away into the darkness, never to be seen again. Domingo made no bones about the source of his power, though he seldom offered much in the way of details as to the ring's origin. The magic it granted him was of a very specific sort, the power of le grand zombie. Mm. It's not what you think, but we'll get into that. Historians trace the concept of le grand zombie to uh, Oida, a city in southern Benin, West Africa, notorious for its role in the Atlantic slave trade. According to the Bantu peoples of this region, the serpent deity known as Nzambi, spelled N-Z-A-M-B-I, created, resides in, and regulates every part of reality, appointing spirits to aid him, most often taking the form of a serpent. 
To practitioners of American voodoo, Nzambi is a Lao, or deity of great stature, the temple snake. As creator, he's seen as kind of the umbilical cord of the universe, not the ritually reanimated corpse associated with Haitian voodoo. The confusion appears to be a purely linguistic coincidence, one that's given rise to a lot of misunderstandings on the nature of voodoo as practiced by icons like New Orleans priestess Marie Laveau. Right. Um, Le Grand Zombie does also, however, play a role in hoodoo. And often conflated with its Louisianan cousin, hoodoo is nonetheless a distinct system of folk belief similar to voodoo, but not entirely. There's some overlap, but it's mm. kind of its own thing. Mm -hmm. uh, snake imagery, for one, is prevalent in hoodoo. Snake leavings are often a chief ingredient in many conjure powders and oils, particularly for purposes of retribution. Someone under, the, uh, under a hoodoo curse, for example, frequently believes a snake is crawling under their skin or coiled inside of their stomach. I hate that idea. It's really, I mean, it's a curse. Uh, those enthralled to a hoodoo love spell are said to be drawn to the intended as though being squeezed by a python. One, uh, one such spell calls for the sorcerer to pluck several hairs from his head, recite the desired person's name, place the hairs in a glass bottle, and allow the bottle to collect rainwater. Once the bottle has been sealed and placed near the front door, the hairs become snakes and irresistibly draw the desired person to one's home. It's said that to become skilled in the ways of hoodoo, prospective sorcerers must curry favor from the snake, most often with gifts or with some great personal sacrifice. Sometimes the sorcerer will ingest the creature's brain and in so doing inherit its knowledge. I feel like that's not going to make the snake like you. <laughs> that's just my instinct, I guess. Yet another tradition has it <laughs> that would-be magicians must withstand lying among vipers without batting an eye as they slink and slither over their naked body. I just really hate everything snake. You'd really have to want to be like a practitioner to do that. Like I really, because really I, want snakes freak me out too. I don't. Um, now the particulars of John Domingo's initiation into hoodoo are unknown, but the serpent ring he proudly dis uh, displayed for all to see certainly carried powerful connotations. Some whispered he'd been an African prince sold into slavery and not just any prince, but Hyde John the Conqueror himself a trickster figure of early African-American folklore immortalized for, out, uh, for always outwitting his would-be captors. Hi John, it's probably more familiar to people as the inspiration of uh, Br'er Rabbit from the Uncle Remus stories of Chandler Harris, which were turned into Song of the South by Disney, which mm -hmm. is now notorious, um, mm -hmm. rightly so. But also Br'er Rabbit was kind of the forerunner for Bugs Bunny, similar trickster figure, a rabbit who's always outsmarting um, right. some white guy that wants to shoot him. Yeah, that's in one tale recounted by folklorist Virginia Hamilton, Hyde John the Conqueror falls in love with the devil's daughter and must complete a series of harrowing tasks to win her hand, among them clearing 60 acres of land, sowing corn on that land, and harvesting the whole goddamn thing in just one and a half days. Smitten with him, the devil's daughter furnishes John with a magical axe and a plow that allows him to accomplish this impossible feat, though she warns him her father intends to kill John regardless. In the end, the pair of lovers escape the evil one's clutches on the backs of his very own best horses, shape-shifting their way to freedom. And that's an important trope, shape-shifting their mm -hmm. way to, to freedom. Uh, and that's kind of, that's why High John the Conqueror is such an um, interesting figure for, uh, especially for people who were newly who were ex-slaves in this time. This was the right. 1880s. So uh, uh, author Zora Neale Hurston, who you may know was the writer of Their Eyes Were Watching God, 
if you ever had to read that in school, recounts a number of High John's adventures in her collection of folktales called The Sanctified Church. In an article written for the magazine American Mercury in 1943, Hurston writes, quote, Like King Arthur of England, he has served his people, and like King Arthur, he is not dead. He waits to return when his people shall call him again. High John de Conquer uh, went back to Africa but he left his power here and placed his American dwelling in the root of a certain plant. Only possess that root, and he can be summoned at any time. The peace, meant to bolster the spirits of African-American soldiers serving in World War II, ends with a rousing call to arms. Quote, if the news from overseas reads bad, listen hard, and you will hear High John de Conquer treading on his singing drum. You will know then that no matter how bad things look now, it will be worse for those who seek to oppress us. Such was the enduring power of this beloved trickster figure among the harried and dispossessed. And such was John Domingo's rumored power in late 19th century Charleston that Masick Street's transformation from haute couture address to dangerous slum in just a matter of years was attributed to the fact that he lived there. He was widely believed to have cursed it in order to carve out a niche for himself and his fellow gulas, that is, uh, the word for South Carolina's people of color who often hailed from the coastal islands. They were okay. called Gula, spelled G-U-L-L-A-H-S, and John Domingo proudly considered himself one of them. Uh, Upper-class white families had cordoned off Mazic Street for generations, erecting their own private paradise to the pointed exclusion of minorities like Domingo. Perhaps the former slave delighted in spoiling their vanity, turning the playgrounds of the rich into quote-unquote skid, skid row, where white folks feared to tread. Whatever his reasons, the reputation of the street on which he lived represented just one of the many reasons John Domingo was not a sorcerer with whom to be trifled. Right. The shadows deepening around his door at night were thought by neighbors to be dead souls summoned there to do his bidding. Often these shadows were so distinct that folks swore they seemed less like spirits and more like solid revenants, ambling corpses conscripted into service by Domingo's profound necromancy. In a time when people of color, many of them former slaves, knew better than to expect the scales of justice to tip in their favor, Domingo set himself up as judge, jury, and in many cases executioner on behalf of his community. Anyone foolhardy enough to run afoul of the law on the black constable's watch quickly found themselves besieged by all manner of supernatural misfortune. If someone failed to pay a debt, shrieking specters gave them not a moment's rest. The families of slain loved ones would entreat Domingo to avenge them. For a modest fee, or sometimes out of simple charity, the sorcerer would arrange it so that the murderer found himself stalked by the reanimated corpse of the very victim he'd slain. Yikes. Other people. Domingo. I mean, I think that would be very effective. <laughs> right? Yeah. I kind of, I fucking love this guy. Yeah, right? Other people Domingo would simply make disappear. His root work, as it's called, was legendary among those in the know who practiced the religion of their African ancestors. His command of the weather was much sought after by maritime professionals. His healing potions and love spells were the toast of town. The sick, the ambitious, the bereaved, the ill-used, and the betrayed, everyone had reason to pay the black constable a visit at one time or another. His, quote, mojo hands, which were small cloth bags used as charms, often filled with herbs, roots, mm -hmm. stones, or mm -hmm. animal bits, were in high demand. Also highly sought after were uh, Domingo's trademark Lucky Jack Balls, made from needing... <laughs> <re> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you have your own pair of I those. I have my own pair. Um, and they, yeah, they do seem They're downstairs. Lucky. <laughs> <laughs> these were... Um, these were wax balls. Basically, you would take ingredients and like relevant personal items and roll them into a ball of wax, mm -hmm. let it harden, thread a, 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 a thread through it, and then use it like we would use a pendulum. 
Oh, and okay. this, uh, so it became kind of a divination thing, also a lucky charm. They're very popular. And his were like, they were like, uh, they were the. He had the if luckiest they had Yelp, of Jack's if they, balls. If, if they had Yelp <laughs> back in those days, John Domingo's Jack Balls would yeah. all be four star. Right. Um, <laughs> now, there was a darker side, of course, to Domingo's trade, but his clientele was loyal. His stealing into cemeteries after sundown to collect dirt from fresh graves didn't really bother them, nor did the fact that necessarily trouble them that his ramshackle house on Masick Street was chock-a-block with dead souls pressed into his service. Some vaporous, others all too solid. At any rate, if it didn't bother them, no one said anything. Caveat emptor, though, the black constable was prone to bear former clients a grudge for some perceived slight. When a sailor named John Ackes asked his mother to buy favorable winds from Domingo to ensure his safe passage across the Atlantic, the old woman forgot, leaving Ackes in a pinch. For want of time, Ackes wound up securing the necessary conjuring from one of Domingo's rivals. Domingo, as you might imagine, was not pleased. Mm -hmm. He stirred up a fearsome tempest that ran the ship of John Ackes aground in some remote atoll, killing Ackes and nine of the crew. Uh -oh. Domingo's reputation among Charleston's black population as a dispenser of supernatural justice spanned generations. Yet for all his prestige, the black constable met a strange and terrifying end, according to legend. In his book, The Encyclopedia of the Undead, Dr. Bob Curran writes, uh, Domingo was at the height of his pride and power in Charleston, acting as the law in certain quarters of the city. One evening, he pursued two robbers who had violated some residents in his district. Kern goes on to write that Domingo cornered the offenders in Mount Pleasant, hauling them downriver by the scruff to Market Street. Stepping ashore with his quarry before a gathering of onlookers, Domingo proudly disclaimed, I am like Jesus with a thief at either hand, only I'm more powerful than Jesus. No sooner had he spoken the words than his eyes grew wide, fixated on something before him no one else could see. His back straightened, his face awash in confusion and terror. After a pregnant silence, the crowd erupted into panic as Domingo began to foam at the mouth. Seized by violent tremors, he fell to the ground. The thieves scurried away. Before dozens of dumbstruck witnesses, Domingo's body slumped and shriveled into that of a man many times his age, at last falling to the cobblestones, a desiccated corpse. Ew. Accounts of his, uh, of his bizarre death vary. Some say an unseen force lifted him off the ground, dangling him in midair. Foaming at the mouth, Domingo clutched desperately at his throat before at last being flung to the ground. His body was taken to a nearby butcher shop and laid out on the counter to await a doctor. By the time the doctor arrived, Domingo's corpse was little more than a rotted husk. For years afterwards, the black constable's ghost could be seen wandering Masick Street and surrounding areas. Though records no longer show Domingo's exact address, so feared was the sorcerer's former question mark abode that finding a buyer proved impossible. All attempts to renovate the property met with disaster. Not a few old-timers claimed it was still possible to venture within and entreat the sorcerer's ghost for supernatural aid, as you might have done when he was alive, though. By then, the price for his services was a bit higher. <laughs> Gradually, however, the legend of John Domingo faded. The city finally opted to demolish the house altogether as part of a beautification project sometime in the early 20s, not long after the neighborhood became fully gentrified, prompting those who remembered him to assume the black constable had finally left his beloved Charleston. That That's the story, and right. it's a remarkably similar story. Every source I've found just tells pretty much that version. Mm -hmm. But... Um, uh, and it's impossible to find more. I've dug, I dug, and dug all week, and I couldn't find a thing that wasn't, uh, that didn't just read like a folktale. But I love that story all the same. Yeah, it's I a love good the story. story as a symbolism. I love, I love, I don't know, he's kind of like Batman. Right. Well, <laughs> and it seems as though, 
you know, initially this is somebody who's blamed for pushing the white people out of their right of their homes, right? Right. So it's like, well, it had it. It couldn't just be, you know, a black person. It had to have been had to been some powerful some sorcerer. powerful sorcerer with whatever. Right. And then it's it's like the community claimed him and was like, yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. Yeah, and also he I does all like this that. other They're stuff. They're like, yeah, he does it though. So fuck right. Yeah, you don't right. y'all don't take care of us, so he does. Right. And know. so then it makes you think that maybe this guy was helping the community and mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. did all of those things. Maybe not to the extent. No. But but I if perhaps he he did have that reputation and he basked in it because that reputation helped him enforce some kind mm-hmm. of law in an area where the police didn't fucking come right unless it was to arrest you know whoever had called them yeah uh, so yeah I kind of I kind of like that vigilante justice and sometimes I think um, the the mythologist Joseph Campbell talked about meeting an old shaman of some tribe I don't I think it was in Siberia and he was an older guy as most shaman tended to be and. Uh, he talked about the shaman because you know among among his people the shaman is is a sacred character but he's he's an outsider he uh, or she kind of lives usually on the outskirts of town and you know is very mysterious uh, the trope is very common in stories but that's a re that's a reality uh, mm-hmm. and was for many 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 eons in in certain areas of the world but you know in talking to the shaman uh, Joseph Campbell was you know you have a reputation for this and this and levitating and all this. And the shaman will tell him like, some of what I do is real. Like the really important stuff is real. Like my connection to the spirit, to spiritual world and, and my wisdom and the other things I can do, that's all real. But just to keep the people interested, I have to do, I have my tricks. Right. He said, I have my tricks. Yeah. And that seems to be a common theme among practitioners of the art. It's like, you know, there's the real shit that you do. It's not nearly as sexy looking because it's far more abstract and far more spiritual. And then there's the stuff you got to do, you know, for the cameras. Right. <laughs> right. And it's yeah, all, it's I mean, all, it's all PR, but it, you know, you got to respect it. So I don't know. That's true. I love it. That's I love John Domingo. I think he really lived. I think there is evidence that he lived. Uh, and that he had that reputation, but man, I I just kind of I love it. I love yeah. it. We need more like him. Yeah, I do, I too, and I like the idea of this guy, you know, in eighteen. But eighteen is the eighteen eighties. Eighteen eighties, this black man walking down the street, and all the white people were terrified of him because of his magical powers, and he knew it. I think that's fantastic. It's great, very empowering. Well, probably all the people Not were the terrified of him. Yeah, yeah, everybody, but terrified and then respect at the same time. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and you know, the storm comes, and he's like, yeah. Totally did that. Did you that. better fucking believe yeah. it. Shouldn't have gone to that discount sorcerer. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, or maybe he did it. Maybe he did it. There's no way of knowing. Maybe but... he did. And there may be more to the story. Maybe, maybe, well, there's also... maybe that sailor, you know, did him a much greater wrong than just not buying from him. There are all kinds of legends too from Charleston. So it's interesting to look up because it is such a, a ghosty toury town, ta- touristy town. Yeah. I mean, when we were doing that tour, there were five to 10 other tours in the same area on the same (laughs) night. I've never seen so many tours before. So that probably, you know, the people with the best stories probably get the most. That's true. The most people. Um, But it's interesting that, you know, all of the legends that I've heard, like there's the gray man legend, Mm -hmm. which actually several people said, and that's when a big storm is coming. Yeah. People yeah. will see like the gray a, man. And it's like a, of danger. A, re, a really bad, not just a big storm, but like a like hurricane a, yeah. flooding deaths type mm-hmm. of storm. They mm-hmm. see a gray man on the beach or around that area. Um, or there's a different gray man that haunts a graveyard. And we were told a story about a girl who was, um, they told her, her friends, she, she, her, 
it was a long time ago and the kids were all out, you know, playing and then the parents were having a party and sh they bet her, they dared her basically to go to his grave and put her grandfather or father's walking stick into the grave and come back. Yeah. She didn't come back. And, um, they went to, they told the parents and then when they went, they found that she had tripped on her way back and hit her head on one of the stones and actually died Ooh. because she had cracked her head open basically. And so she said to haunt with the gray man, if she's even real, of course I haven't yeah. looked up that story, but you know, there's, there's just everywhere you go, there's another story about, you know, the pirates that used to go. I mean, there it sounds time. like our kind of town. It does. it does. It's so cute too, though. It is. Like, I've, I've really been cute. there a the couple of times and I, it's just got so much personality to it. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's interesting with, with things like John Domingo, you have to wonder the extent to which our imaginations it's like 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 a tulpa like uh, we've talked about in the show before yeah. like a thought form that's made mm -hmm. real and becomes like and then takes on an independent existence like does that happen like does does right. does a ghost actually you know do we do we create a ghost that you yeah. know of someone who never actually lived because we believe it and it's there but it's right. it's you know for all intents and purposes it's real yeah it's yeah. fascinating. It's it we really can, uh, is. It really, really is. But that's all the more reason to just look at this. Yeah, thank you. I just I Regardless, love the story. Yeah, yeah. It's good like, story. Lavinia's good story. All of the stories about Lavinia are good stories. Yep. Uh, yep. But I do find it fun to and and typical, which kind of made me suspicious at the beginning. That it's just Lavinia that's held accountable for the murders, and it's just Lavinia that's held accountable for all this stuff. Like her husband kind of gets a pass. Now that it is believed that she did say like she was not happy about it and she did chastise the the um socialites yeah and I she did so. say if you have anything to say i want that to know, be true so bad. let me know i'll take it to you so she's, that, that's that can be very true in any number of contexts yeah it so, seems as though yeah. that is true um well, i think they just want to make though, her the the murderer because it was so much more shocking for a woman to be a murderer than a right. man i mean men are always going off and killing people right right but women are supposed to not do that women right. aren't supposed to be able to do that kind of thing you're such right. soft and you know uh, delicate careful, delicate fragile creatures flowers. Without, yeah yeah well and her husband <coughs> apparently in his statement he well, at the gallows, he did say he wasn't guilty, and then he pled his case, but then he also, or pleaded his case, and then he also said um, he apologized for anyone he'd ever hurt. And so people took that, a lot of people took that to mean he meant for killing people, but it's probably more likely just a general statement before you die, mm. like, by the like, way, yeah, I'm sorry. I probably did some things wrong in my life, and I apologize. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's that's the kind of thing you want to say before you die, yeah. unless you're Lavinia and you're like, "Get any messages for the devil?" Yeah, right. <laughs> well, and there is, because I'll, I'll take them. Um, and the other thing that was kind of weird is there were we were told a couple of different spots that she was hanged, and it's like, well, she can only be hanged in one place. Yeah. So unless she was just they, that badass of a bitch, they right. had to do it three or four times. It was outside the jail. Yeah. So if you're told it's in the middle of a park, it's not. That's where I was told it was. Yeah. And that yeah. they see her ghost there now. And mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, it's too good of a story to right. be true. But... So sad. Tragique. <sighs> Tragique. Tragique. But well, good stories. Nonetheless. Good stories. It's all about stories. And now we know more about Charleston. We do. Yeah. We do. So good.
Thanks, we, Charleston. Thank you for being so fucking interesting. I know. And thank you, everyone, for listening to us go off on Charleston for a couple of weeks. <laughs> um, let's see. Now you are off to L.A. Yeah, I'm off to L.A. This tomorrow. Weekend. Yeah, tomorrow. Yeah. How tomorrow. long? Oh, wait. But uh, by just, the time you... By the time this comes out, this I'll be back. Out, you'll be back. Yeah. So I'm just LA. going there for a Comic-Con. I like mm-hmm. Comic-Con this weekend. Yeah. Should be fun. And uh, yeah. That's that's me. That's my life. All right. <laughs> I'm just gonna not be... much else going on. I know Brandon's gonna be staying, so I won't be watching the dogs. Yeah, which I'm a little sad about. It's okay. But I'm it's well, okay. we can always just bring them over to visit. That's true. That's true. I don't know. Little little bit. Gus is backsliding. He's kind of he's mm. going back into some of his puppy behaviors. It happens. Right. When they're like at like six or seven months, they sometimes go. Oh, he's turning I'm just into gonna forget all my training. A four year old. Yes. Yes. Which is basically just a little asshole. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> to everyone else, he's just an angel, but to us, he's a little dick. Right. Yeah, that's the age. Yeah. That's such it is. Such our children. Right. 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 Oh, little fur babies. Oh, yeah. gosh. We love them. Thank God for them. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Oh, I'm stretching. Um. <laughs> sorry, I got. I got comfortable. You got to get to the studio, dear. I know. I have to go. Yeah. Fifteen minutes. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening. You guys are awesome. Glue intentions. Dot com is where you can submit your stories. Mm-hmm. Um, we have links to our Patreon there mm-hmm. and um, our social medias. Yes, you can also yes. just, you know, look up Patreon Ghoul Intentions. It's if true. You, if you wanted to look and see what all of that is about. Yes. Um, but send us your stories. Keep sending us your stories. They're so good. Yeah. Um, and t-shirts. Get some t-shirts. Yep. Get pictures of yourself and said t-shirts. And remember... It's It's okay okay to sleep sleep with with the lights lights on. on.